So for Jesus, the heart of the matter is the heart of the matter. It's right there in the text for tonight. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. And for it is written within, for it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. The heart here refers to the seat of the will. Or it is that place from within us that true commitments arise and our actions come. It's the center of our being, the source of all that is within us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because Jesus knows, God knows that we are capable of just about anything. So what's in our hearts matters and what we choose to bring to the world can defile or it can edify. It's not enough then for us just to wash our hands of it the way Herod did. We have to pay attention to what's on the inside too. Today we might call that doing our inner work. Jesus was concerned that we do our inner work. That is, that we become more self-aware that we wake up to the truth about ourselves and that we become more conscious of not only our thoughts, but our commitments and the actions that arise from those commitments. Because it's possible, and I dare say all too common, for us to go through the motions as religious people and to not let our hearts be touched by any of it, by the prayers, the reading of scriptures, the rituals, the sacraments. And it's not a new problem. We see it right here in our text. Jesus saw it in the scribes and the Pharisees that they were good religious people. They maintained their tradition meticulously. They were keepers of the law and providers of religious order. They took care to do it right to cross their T's and dot their I's, but in the process, they had little depth to their faith. They were untouched or unaffected by their practices. Their lives were not transformed, and Jesus is concerned with lives that are transformed. That's what He was concerned with, and it's what He's concerned with even today. He knew that others were looking to the scribes and Pharisees to be an example, to show the way. Now it's important, I think, for us to remember that the scribes and the Pharisees were people who were looked up to in their day. We have the benefit of history to know that there were some problems with what they were doing. But among the Jewish people, they were looked up to. They were respected and often chosen to be in a position of leadership. They were the ones who provided order and security for the Jewish community. Which makes it all the more amazing that Jesus confronted them the way he did. They were conventional, faithful, religious people. But it was becoming clear that Jesus was not. It was becoming clearer that Jesus was not so conventional in his ways. Now, contextually, there's something really important for us to be paying attention to in Mark's gospel. This text is pivotal. 
It falls right between the two feeding stories, the feeding of the 5,000 on one hand and the feeding of the 4,000 on the other. And interspersed throughout there are all kinds of healing stories. Jesus is doing all these amazing things and people are taking notice. And after this event, Jesus begins to turn things in a significant way. The healing that he performs next is to the daughter of a Gentile woman, the Seraphonician origin, and then to a deaf man who's living in the Gentile area of Decapolis. These stories matter because they reveal that God's boundless love and care reaches far beyond the immediate community. God provides for a multitude that includes not only the traditional Jewish faithful, but the Gentile world. Jesus reveals that God's love is not as conventional as once thought, but is not concerned simply with clean hands, but with generous hearts. God is up to something grand and magnificent here, and the religious elite can't see it. So Jesus tries to get their attention and wake them up and say, take note. God is up to something. When Jesus says there is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but that the things that come out are what defile, he undermines the whole notion of ritual purity or of holiness based on food laws. And he emphasizes instead that what really matters is the heart where decisions are made about one's neighbors. He's concerned about their actions and what they do with their lives. He's pointing out to them that they've got it all mixed up. They have confused rituals for God's commandments. Now remember, when Jesus was asked about the commandments, he summarized it all very succinctly. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. That's what really matters. So the question becomes, are we loving others? Are we loving ourselves? Are we loving God? Do our actions reflect our commitment to love God with our whole being? Is our heart aligned with our head? Or more importantly, is our head aligned with our heart? Jesus wants to know. Do we come from a place of love in all that we say, in all that we do? Inner work can help us get back on track. Inner work is about paying attention to the world around us and our place in it. It's about knowing ourselves well enough to know that we have as much potential in us for harm as we do for good. And that by becoming more self-aware and waking up to the reality of the world around us, we can act in ways that are more healing and helpful rather than, than destructive and harmful. I'm going to invite us to turn for a second to St. Benedict and his rule of life, because in St. Benedict's rule of life, he talks about humility in a significant way. And he gives us a prescription for inner work. 
He shows us how to do our inner work. We at Richmond Hill have a simple rule of life that we follow. It has 12 points. And those 12 points can all be found in the rule of Benedict. Our community is sort of an extension of that rule and that way of life. So we're all participating in it even now. So there's a lot that can be said about about St. Benedict's ladder of humility. But I'm just going to hit some high points here. First of all, I want you to know that the ladder descends. We don't climb the ladder. We go down the ladder. Okay? We go down and in. It's an invitation for us to do depth work, to get below the surface of clean hands or clean food, but to do deeper work. So we're going down the ladder. And the first step he mentions is keeping the reverence of God always before our eyes. That's a quote from the Rule of Benedict. Keep the reverence of God always before our eyes. It's remaining aware of God's presence, making God the priority that God is meant to be, that we have to keep God always before us. Joan Chittister, who writes a commentary on the rule, says that this first step is not a matter of becoming good enough to gain the God who is somewhere outside of us. It's a matter of gaining the God who is within us the love of whom impels us to good. Now think about that in light of Jesus saying, your heart is what matters most. That if we are aware that God is within us and that God is good in you and me, then somehow we can live from that center and offer that goodness to the world. Inner work is in part about finding God within us, a strength and a source for inner healing and outward grace. The second step of humility is that we love not our own will, nor take pleasure in the satisfaction of our desires. Again, quoting St. Benedict, rather we shall imitate by our actions the sayings of Christ. I have come not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. We are aligning ourselves with the will of God. Steps three, four, and five have to do with trusting the guidance and wisdom of others and persevering when times get tough. In particular, trusting those who can help us discern God's will. So St. Benedict is talking about the importance of community, that we have to have others who can help us understand and discern what God wants from us, that there's wisdom and truth that we can discern together. Step seven has to do with accepting the reality of our smallness in comparison to the vastness of the universe. You see how we're getting deeper and deeper into humility. It's knowing that we have a place in the universe, but we are not the center of it, any one of us. Again, Chittister says that accepting our essential smallness and embracing it frees us from the need to lie, even to ourselves, about our frailties. More than that, it liberates us to respect, revere, and deal gently with others 
who have been unfortunate enough to have their own smallnesses come obscenely to light. So as we become more aware of our own frailties, our own shortcomings, we can become more respectful of the frailties we see in others. We're less likely to blame them or accuse them, but to have compassion for our neighbor. So our actions begin to be more loving as God is loving to us. Can you see how that's inner work and how that makes a difference? Humility is not about deprivation or self-flagellation, but about knowing our limitations and honoring those limitations. Honoring both our strengths and our weaknesses. It helps us accept ourselves and it helps us to accept others for who they are. Providing an opportunity for us to be kind. It's not what's on the outside, Jesus said. It's what's on the inside that allows you to act kindly to others. Step eight emphasizes following the rule of life of the community and the example of others. Again, it's something we can offer each other. We can be that discerning heart for one another, helping each other to see the truth of what God wants for us. Steps 9, 10, and 11 are about speech and controlling our tongues. In today's text, Jesus was concerned about the scribes and the Pharisees paying lip service to their faith. He's saying to them, essentially, your talk is cheap. Benedict believed the same thing, inviting his hearers to let their actions speak for them. And step 12 states that we are to always manifest humility in our bearing, no less than in our hearts. Again, quoting St. Benedict. Manifest humility in our bearing, in how we live in the world, in how we show up, and in what we do, rather than only in our hearts. It has to come out of us. Benedict is telling us that true humility is a stance in life that reflects our understanding that we are precious in God's eyes, but we are not God's ourselves. We are the manifestation of God's love in the world. And while that is bold and beautiful, it is also reverent and respectful of all of life. So let me quote Chittister one more time. She says that humility is then the foundation for our relationship with God, our connectedness to others, our acceptance of ourselves, our way of using goods of the earth, and even our way of walking through the world without arrogance, without domination, without scorn, without put-downs, without disdain, without self-centeredness. The more we know ourselves, the gentler we will be with others. I think that's what Jesus was trying to say to those scribes and those Pharisees. It's from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions arise. He mentioned sexual misconduct, theft, murder, meanness, envy, and gossip. These things defile, Jesus says. They defile you. They defile your neighbor. They get in the way of your relationship with God. But likewise, goodness can come from our hearts. 
when we are humble and we accept who we are as God's beloved daughters and sons. We are called to love God, to know that we are not perfect, we are not always right, but we are capable of loving in return and of doing good. But we have to do our inner work, Jesus is saying, and become more self-aware, aware of what's going on in the world and more willing to act like Jesus, more willing to disrupt convention. Hebrew Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann says that if you are simply praising God for the way things are and are satisfied with the status quo, then you have to be honest with yourself and realize that you are part of the oppressive system at hand. We need to be clear. God's intention for this world is not yet realized. God's kingdom God's realm is yet to be fulfilled. We must do our inner work so that we can bring the goodness of God to bear in the world around us. So that we can help make it real. And so that we can have the courage to do what we need to do to confront the oppressive system before us. As disciples of Christ, we still have work to do. What Jesus is saying to all of us is that the work must come from here, from deep within. Only then will we have the courage to keep going. Only then will we have the wisdom to know. Only then will we have the vision and the clarity to see what must be confronted. Humbled, we too must challenge conventional wisdom and practice for the sake of children who deserve a good education, to ensure that everyone has a fair chance to work, to see to it that none will be hungry, that none will be denied health care or adequate housing, to be sure that this planet has a chance to survive for generations to come. Of course, if we're doing that, if we're doing that which we're supposed to be doing, then there are going to be people who are upset with us. To threaten the status quo is to threaten the status quo. (laughs) Right? Somebody's going to be upset because it's going to mean things have to change. Even if we know that that change is for the benefit of everyone. As disciples of Christ, we must remain courageous We must persevere. We must trust in God's love. We must know that the alternative will not do. So to close, let me remind us that the opposite of faith is not doubt, but it is fear. The scribes and the Pharisees had plenty of it. They saw Jesus as a threat to their traditional ways. Jesus threatened the status quo that they were comfortable with. But Jesus was simply trying to get them out of their heads and into their hearts. For some reason, that's the longest, hardest journey any of us have to make, from here to right here, to letting go of what we think and trusting what we know 
from this deep place and living our lives accordingly. Faith, Jesus points out, is not about keeping traditional customs at any cost. You can wash your hands, he says, but that is not what defiles. It's how you treat each other, how you treat yourselves, and the way you honor God with your life. It's what comes out of you and gets expressed in the world that is of primary importance. The heart of the matter, Jesus says, is the heart of the matter.